Welcome to episode 136 of the Oklahoma Real Estate Show. On today's show, it's Tina Larson. She's the author of Living the High Life, How Smart Co-op and Condo Owners Protect Themselves and Their Investments. She's also a member of the Folsom Group, who audits and helps optimize uh, big buildings, small buildings throughout New York and now expanding around uh Tina, welcome to the show. Kind of tell us a little bit about yourself. But... Thank you so much, Landon. Um, thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. And thank you for that lovely introduction. So I'm from Sweden originally, hence the accent. I'm from New York because I've been here since 1994. So I've actually been here longer than I was in Sweden. And that tells me about my age, right? <laughs> When I moved to New York, We're going to get it out of the way. And <laughs> yeah. uh, when I moved to New York, I worked on Wall Street as a business analyst. And then my husband and I bought a co-op, which in Oklahoma you might have HOAs or condos or community association or something else, but that's just the legal. So for our purposes, it doesn't matter. In New York, we have condos. We have some HOAs in the outskirts in Long Island and stuff, and then and but in the city we have primarily co-ops. But they're it's the it's like the technical structure of them. So we're in a co-op. We bought a co-op, and the first few years we didn't really pay that much attention. And then one year we in 2010 we got the maintenance increase, which we got the HOA fee increase every single year. We got this, and we started paying attention. So we got some neighbors together, overthrew the old board, and took over the board. Mm. Then the new board asked me if I could help them use my analytical skills as a, as a business analyst from Wall Street and see if I could find any savings. Now, when I analyzed numbers, it was not because of savings, but here we are. <laughs> so um, that's what I did. We made some phone calls, eliminated some services, and renegotiated some services. And the new uh, and I helped the new board save three hundred and forty thousand dollars over the first three years. Wow! Yes. <laughs> yeah, that that was that was a jolt to the bottom line. <laughs> yes. So uh, when we were up networking, you know how much everybody wants to meet another financial advisor. That was that was amazing. So instead of free lunch out of the deal, right? <laughs> so instead of introducing myself as a financial advisor, I started introducing myself as I helped my co-op say three hundred forty thousand dollars, and a lot of people asked Brilliant. me. I introduced you to my board, so we really hung up shingles <laughs> and started our business. And um, it is it's all word of mouth, but now lately it's it's still word of mouth, but now it's become more. Uh, we're more established. I mean, obviously in the beginning, that's not the case. Nobody else mm-hmm. does what we do. So it was not a known industry we created. Well, we're still the only ones. So we didn't really create an industry. We created. Yeah. And you would say, so this was about seven years ago-ish, seven years ago, something like that. And and it sounds like what your kind of your secret weapon is is really going out and and finding the financial statements of competing units or you know any type of data you can get your hands on 
and then kind of establishing what is the market for this, right? Like what are what is a normal basis for maintenance? What is a normal basis for improvements? Um, and that's something that we often uh, either forget about or we just don't know how to do that in our industries where, you know, we, we all look at our own project and our own expenses, and then we go get bids from other people on what it would cost to fix this project, not really thinking that we could actually look at other businesses that have similar properties and get an, get financial statements from them and compare apples to apples that way. And that's really, I think, am I wrong? Is that that's that's really the what, what your specialty you're exactly, is? You are exactly right. And I mean, that's so when I worked on Wall Street, it was public information because they're publicly traded companies. So we would compare Burger King to McDonald's or, you know, you get the point. And mm-hmm. so it's public information. I can, you go to SEC and you download a financial statement and you get the financial statement and you compare. In this industry, you would have to, okay, so how do we get this data? Now, right. what I did, this is pre-COVID. I went out and I pretended to be a buyer and went to open house. <laughs> <laughs> You're a spy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, how would you get the data? It's not public information. Well, that's 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 exactly yeah. Everybody's like listening for the so so you're sneaking in as a buyer. Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Go on. This is good. This is real good. Yes, and don't tell my uh, real estate friends. And then, <laughs> and then. Uh, well, you're in disguise. So how would they know? <laughs> no, how would I know? And then after a while, it was that now we have our clients' data and now we have our prospect clients' data. So now we have just built, we have several hundred properties. And mm. in New York City, large apartment buildings that have a, uh, they have a full staff or doorman, so a full staff, they typically have a 150 line items, cost line items. And that is before wow. capital improvement. So just by the operating mm. expenses, it's a typically 150 line items. Mm. So it's a lot to compare. To, it's a lot of data and a lot to compare to. Sure. Sure. Um, we, we could say that uh, probably the most uh, similar uh, product that we have across the Midwest because uh, uh, a lot of folks are saying, well, but I don't have condos. I don't have co-ops. I don't even have a building. I have apartments, right? That I, I feel is is uh, the most similar that you'll find just throughout rural, rural America is, is how they're budgeting for apartments. And um, a lot of times what we see is that they, they're kind of doing that 30,000 foot view. They got all these line items. And they're kind of going a direction, and then they're kind of talking to people across the nation of how much is your maintenance percentage, right? And these kind of percentages. But you're actually going line by line, saying, "Wow, this particular category is much higher than this category where it kind of should be. Let's find out why." Yeah. Okay. So, so have you seen uh, like uh, a commonality in all these properties that you're evaluating of? This is kind of where we almost always find extra uh, cost savings. Yes. So we have a bunch of cost savings that are just random. So we had one building where they had 20 phone lines. Obviously, this is not going to happen to your clients or your audience. They had 20 Mm -hmm. phone lines. So we went in and we did, you know what we did? 
we called them all and nine of them were not in service. Wow. So we canceled. But that doesn't happen very often. Or we had one building where we had two, we had a prospect client and we had a client. The client used the same exterminating service as the next door building. And they were paying twice the price for their weekly exterminating service as the other building. And they were the same size. Or like, with the hit. So they just came down in price. But those don't happen very often. So to your point, what happens most frequently is we reduce not the cost of, ultimately it is the cost, it's the usage of heating, water, electricity, so the utilities, and insurance. Those are the ones that we most often find big savings in. And this, in those buildings, remind me kind of because you might say a lot of folks will say, yeah, but the units are individually metered. They have their electric bill. So when you're talking about heating and cooling, you may be talking about common areas. What? Tell me what you mean by your heating and cooling cost. Yeah. So if you are, if you're in New York and mm -hmm. the landlord is required to provide heating and water. So the building has a meter and uh, and provides the heat somehow, either gas, oil, steam, electric, uh, various heat pumps, etc. So mm -hmm. the building is required to provide the heat, and the same with the water. There's one water meter throughout the whole building. So only the electricity inside of the apartments is um, either master meter, submetered, or directly metered with the utility. But then there's all the common areas in a, an apartment building, right? So even if you have a condo owner who owns one unit in a building, they, their HOA fees or their whatever they call a community association. Mm -hmm. Sure. Those are the the shared say the, the shared cost for the entire building. So the lobby is uh, lit and heated, and there might be water. There's probably water in the basement, and there's a laundry room in the basement. In New York, typically, that laundry room uses gas, electricity, and water. So there are all of these uh, shared expenses with our, which are then passed on to the unit owner. So in your case, if they own one apartment in a complex, their their HOA mm -hmm. fee it, it includes all of that. And that is the portion that we reduce. So we Okay, so let's get let's get um here's a perfect example. So we just recently took over managing a sixteen unit, uh, which is sixteen townhomes. Uh, it's four individual buildings all with four townhomes per building that the previous owner, you know, owned all units and then decided to rent all units. So now it's a it's a single owner owning 16 uh, townhomes and then renting them out, picking one property manager. We recently took over as a property manager, also helped with the acquisition of the new owners. But in each, in each individual unit, and this is really, really common through the Midwest, each individual unit has an electric meter. However, the water is all share. So, you know, this question, I know it's going to come up and it does come up, which is how do how do you even begin to try to audit the water in these situations where, you know, you have one line coming in and then you got 16 tenants and now... Would I mean, 
you just, it is what it is, is what the answer is. A lot of times people say, well, it is what it is, right? It's what they're going to be using. So how do we optimize water in this case? Yeah, so the, it's a great point. So, <laughs> I mean, what I would do is, and I'm, I haven't analyzed that particular situation. So I, I'm kind of like pulling a few ideas here. So, but I would go, I would go to the Department of Energy and I will say, what is the average use per apartment or house? And that will tell you. Okay. So that's a good place to start. And then if you're below that, that's good. <laughs> if you're well, well sure. above it, which we see often, then you want to investigate it, look into it. And maybe you don't even want, if you're just exactly what they are, I think yeah. it's a hundred gallons. Uh -huh. I think it's a hundred gallons per user per day. I think the last I checked. So yeah, that's a good point. So now you're using you're using the the averages there, and then if you're way above, maybe now it's like yeah, we do need to get a plumber to take a look at what's flowing through here. Do we have an issue with the supply lines leaking into the sewer or whatever? Uh, that's a great point. Is uh, I didn't even think to to tap into uh, you know the 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 government's average usage. And I wonder if the utility provider even would have some type of macro or micro, you know, um, you know, stuff of saying, well, in this town, typically each user runs about this or what, or, or whatnot. But we find in most of the buildings that we work in, they, we find that mm -hmm. what the, the deep, the department of energy, their data, I mean, that's what we use as a benchmark, but then Interesting. Think about it. Think about this. So the largest user, I don't know when were when were these um, complexes built? When were the houses built? So like, 71, 72, okay. early seventies. Okay. okay. So they were so their toilet tanks at the time were the size at that standard, which is not the standard right now. Okay. So right now you can buy a a um, vacuum flush toilet with the uses. 0.8 gallons per flush. Back then, you could have been two and a half or three and a half gallons per flush, right? And these one, the new ones that are a vacuum pump, they do not use a flapper. And in most cases, the flapper is the biggest problem, but it's old and it's not actually, uh, that there might be leaks from the flapper. They said it nationwide. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nationwide, six percent of, of the water comes from is uh, from water usage. It comes from leaks. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So, so here's an easy one. You go to Home Depot. Count how many toilets you have. You get leak tablets. They're like basically a little diet tablet. You put mm -hmm. them in. The, you ask all the residents if you can come in and inspect their uh, toilets. You put one in the tank, and at the same time, you see how big is this tank? Does this look like uh, three gallons, two gallons, or is it, according to current standards, should we replace it? And I mean, replacing it, it's not expensive at all. And then while you're testing it to see if it dies, you have to wait a couple of minutes, and then you'll see if there's any kind of color in the toilet bowl, then that means that there's a leak. It's like an internal, mm. and then you just have to check check all the hoses and stuff too. Interesting, yeah. And this is again after you already have the evidence that there is higher than normal usage. So you've 
you've justified this this further inspection and and of course the cost or whatever of the maintenance going through there. Okay, so we got so a lot of lot of water and then people I have you ever messed with the idea of sub-metering uh, where you didn't have meters before now you're added meters? Have you ever done that? We have, but it's not very in New York City, it's not cost effective. It's very expensive to install them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so... Again, it would take many, many years to recover from that. I mean, the long strategy would be we do it now, then we can recover in the future. But I think what you may run into in your market is just an expectation from the tenants that, well, water's included, right? And then now, well, if it's not... Is well, that- the water, water submeter can't be done in New York City. Because we don't even have enough basement space to put all the water meters. And then think about it. So when it comes to electric, you can submeter because it's one per apartment. But when it right. comes to water, you have several several lines in the same apartment. So, I mean, it's just uh, an enormous amount of uh, submeters. So for water and... And at some point we spoke with someone and they said that the water lines don't go like this. There might be like this, and it's uh, even 100% clear. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> We've had some folks talk about, like, Amazon even has these electronic, that, that you would manage in-house the flow of water. Like, you would have meters on each individual unit that would report via Wi-Fi or some type of radio signal to a database, and then you as a property manager would then sub-bill that. But I will say, like, we're experimenting with the idea of just simply charging an additional fee for water, right? Just saying water bills keep going up and up and up. Instead of raising your rent, we're going to add a our sewer utility fee that's a separate fee each month that then would be like a dividing, like, you know, taking all the units and dividing that by however many units there was. And it is what it is, right? So it's just... The main big number divided by how many units are active, and that's what you get, right? But that is labor intensive, um, you know, for the staff to have to do, you know. So you you kind of get. I mean, but if you're doing it proportional, what's the purpose? Why don't you just secure increase the rent by that amount? In well, so then the question, a- the, yeah, then the question would be, you know, could. Well, for one thing, are you are you billing uh, Section Eight housing, right? Like, if you're in a Section Eight situation, uh, which some of these multi units, they definitely are. You know, very very high percentage of them may be Section Eight. Um, you got to be careful with how you're marketing your rent rate. You know, rent can only be this, right? You, you that's the what's approved. That's what you have. Your that's a controlled element. And now you got um, these other services that you kind of have to add on. And so that's where we get into the, well, we're not going to add it to the rent, but there's a $75 water fee per month, you know? And maybe that's not discussed on the on the housing app or not, you know? Um, because again, these are these are things that are, are, are becoming much more uh, an issue that the interest rates have tripled, right? This is like a lot of folks have these loans they never thought would re-up at such a higher cost that the pressure on the property managers and folks like you guys is 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 turning up saying look if we want to keep this 
going, right? We're going to refinance in a year and a half at this rate. We already know it's going to be at least this, right? We got to come up with plans now to offset these expenses or else, uh, you know, it's, it may not look good. So, so that's it. That's why we're here. That's what we're talking. Um, so let's move into some of the other, uh, you know, obviously you're doing landscaping, you know, you're doing, uh, you know, the handyman stuff. What are some things when you kind of just go into a, you know, just a, just across the board that you're seeing, like just another, another obvious things that you go, oh yeah, that's just a common uh, oversight that we see uh, these these buildings doing. Uh, so one of them is well, heating, water, electricity is the most common one. We take all we take the entire financial statement for a new client and we put it right into our database, and then it pops out and says these 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 are areas to look in. When it comes to uh, apartment buildings, and it could also be townhomes that have any kind of common element, right? When you walk into a basement in New York City or New Jersey or something where you have common elements, you walk into the basement and you, the elevator doors are opened into the basement and the lights are on 24-7, you're wasting money. That's uh, the quickest, easiest, simplest way to find savings. Um, yeah, that's something to be learned from like, you're talking like versus like a motion detector uh, absolutely. when you walk absolutely. in, the motion the motion light turns on. Okay. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. And, so that's I mean, going through saying, do, do you have the automation on lighting? Go through, try to figure out the automation. What about the LED? I know that's, that's uh, you know, a lot of places are LED now already, but if you're not LED, this is probably a huge uh, change over, maybe expensive up front. Um, but when is, we, is that when, something you can? Yes, absolutely. And when we started, we were replacing a lot of LED, no, regular old fashioned T12s and replacing them with LED on motion sensors. And at that time for those, we saw like 80% savings. Now we're going from a, um, LED to an, to an LED on motion sensor. So the savings are less because it's already more efficient, but there's still savings. There's still savings. So, I mean, there's no reason to have any lights on 24 seven. I mean, can you imagine uh, leaving your apartment, just leaving all the lights on? I mean, it would never happen. You pay for your own electricity. You wouldn't do that. So, right. Okay. So now let's kind of transition to a little bit, you know, we've talked about some optimization and again, I'm sure your book is completely full of so many different ideas. Let's transition into 2024 and 2025, right? Um, I've already just in my, my little micro world, I've seen a change in the way the new generation is approaching home buying, uh, home ownership. I've seen the way uh, Travelocity and all these big uh, commercials are, uh, you know, reemphasizing the idea of it's about experiences in life now, not necessarily owning things. Um, we've really seen a trend to say renting is the future and renting is great and renting is what your generation is going to look forward to because renting will give you the flexibility. You don't have to call people for um, you know, you, you don't want to have to call a, a hot water tank and then have to, d d 
you know, do your own price shopping and get a payment and da 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 da. You can just file a maintenance request, right? So there's a lot of benefits to the new generation to renting, but I feel like there's a new kind of a mindset to where kind of two paths we go down. One path is it's a big corporation that's managing me, and I think that way, and I'm just going to approach this from a big corporation managing me mindset, and that may be good to some people who say, I want, I want this big corporation to just take care of me. The other people say, well, now that I have a big corporation managing me, I'm going to take advantage of it as much as I can and try to do all these different late, you know, work around my late fee and maybe they won't notice this. And then there's the other side that we kind of have an argument in the industry over is you have the self-managers, right? Or the small management companies that kind of develop this homey feel and like self-managed or owner managed. And, and you have customers that actually look for those kind of rental properties that, oh, well, this management company is really small. They, they know your name, you know, or it's self-managed. They're going to be able to allow my dog that otherwise these big corporations don't. So have you seen and, and kind of report back on what you feel the industry is kind of going towards and what are, are, are people, you know, or is there any marketing they're doing different or anything for the new 2024, 2025 uh, tenants. Yeah, so uh, you're absolutely right. <laughs> it's a huge shift. And people who are buying, so whether they're renting or they're buying, people who are, and we work primarily with the ones who are buying, when they buy a co-op or condo, the qualification and the uh, abundance of uh, funds and knowledge, I mean, these are highly qualified people. It used to be that anyone bought a co-op or condo, but now it's really, I mean, they're very impressive people. <laughs> and they are proactive. They have a different mentality. They are not willing to sit there and chit chat in the board meeting. They want stuff done. Their, val their time is valuable. And they're used to a very high pace at work. And they are typically, I mean, we have we have Google programmers on boards. We have people who are highly accomplished and know how to use tech. Whereas only when we started, we had board members who didn't even use email. <laughs> so it's been a huge shift in who are serving on boards and who are governing these buildings. And the same for the buyers. They're typically new buy newer buyers. And um, yes, yeah, so it's changed things. They're not willing to sit there and see that they have a poor, that their building has a poor energy star score because they're using too much carbon emission, for instance. So in New York, there's there, um, buildings get fined if their carbon emission exceeds a certain limit and um, but the new buyers and the new, new board members the new generation they're not willing to do that so we have installed a lot of amenities but since we primarily work with old buildings we don't work with the new luxury buildings the ones that have all the amenities we always encourage our co-op board clients to use the basement wisely and maybe install a gym or install a community room or install 
a roof garden if possible. You have the amenities. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, obviously they're not going to be as, as big and as uh, service oriented as I have a friend who lives down on 9th and 42nd street or actually have two friends in uh -huh. the same building. They had two entire floors of amenity spaces. And one of the amenity spaces. Yeah, I was going to say, so, so before we get too far into that, so what you just said, I think, is really, really critical to understand. You said that the new buyers in a lot of cases are very, you know, you know, business, 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 very quick. You know, let me look at the spreadsheet. Is the numbers hitting what I, what I want? Yes or no. Um, that's kind of what I've experienced as well when we talk to owners that have 10,000 plus units. In fact, the episode that aired right before this one, or will air, um, we had a 10,000 unit owner. And I was asking some of these questions about tenants and things. And again, just as we did, we kind of iced right over the top because in his answer was, well, if the marketing channel's not working, you optimize the marketing channel. Like that's as granular as he was getting at all when it comes to what is the tenant wanting? What are they? What is the future of renting in America? They didn't, that did not matter. What mattered was if the marketing channel's not operating efficiently, then put a different marketing channel in there. And that's a different whole mindset than I think that we're really used to. Um, and so when we take that and we kind of expand that, right, to where some of these guys have 30,000 rental units and 60,000 rental units, and now they're like, you know, putting them in funds and now really trying to make them like zero liability because the persons that own them are way detached, right? So who is the one that's actually like interpreting the tenant's concerns at that point? Like, you would talk in your book a little bit about like the property manager, right? And you're in New York, it sounds like the, you have property manager is like the day-to-day -day interface maybe with the customer. And then the board is kind of managing the property manager. Is that is that the yeah. mindset there? Yeah. So the property manager is the complaint department. <laughs> and the, <laughs> they're the complaint departments and the fixers. The, gov the, the board is, they govern. So they are the ones who make the decisions and then the property manager is supposed to execute on those decisions. And the board in the, the board is the owners or the owners have hired the board. How, is there another no. layer above the board or the board no. is the owners? The board is the owners. So it's just like I government. See. So it's just like the government. You have a hundred people who own in the building. They vote once a year. And when they vote, they call that these five people, they voted in these five people and now they're on the board and they represent them. And when that's done, it's very, it's just like a government. Then they are there and they are governing. So they don't have to call you and ask you what you're doing. So when we vote in a president or a mayor or whatever we vote in, they're not going to tell the whole population. Oh, I was thinking of doing this. Well, that's not how it works, right? So then they govern. Yeah. I see. So for up until, so if, so to try to kind of move this forward to like, okay, so we, we're optimizing the cost sake. 
we're we're kind of doing everything that we can do without engaging any emotions, right? Like there's no emotions up until this point at all. Like this has all been just straight like utility, da 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 da. Here's the nuts and bolts. What about the decision that the customer makes to rent from you versus your competitor? How do we talk about that and who's even responsible in this system for that discussion? That's like marketing? What what who's deciding yes, the tenant's willing to pay this price because we have more amenity than the person next door? Yeah, so I mean that's just supply and demand I would assume. Now, I mean I mean which is exactly what I would think that they that I mean, that's exactly the answer that I would think the corporate investors would that that's the that's that same mindset. So in other words, if you reduce the supply enough, you will control the demand. So all I need to do is acquire as many units as possible, then it doesn't matter what the tenants want, right? Because I control every option that is available. And what I'm trying to get out is that I don't think that's going to work because it's not taking into consideration that humans are much more powerful in the equation than you think. If they don't pay rent, if everyone doesn't pay rent for just one month, as tight and as efficient as these aircrafts are flying, right? The the, the building is like an airplane, right? As the more you make the wing efficient, the other side of efficiency is you can stall a wing very quickly. So if an aircraft is flying really efficiently, it also means that that, uh, that aircraft can stall, which means fall out of the sky just as fast, right? So inefficiency in an aircraft sometimes creates where you have to have more power, you have to have more airspeed, and therefore you're less prone to crashing, right? So what I'm trying to get at is that we've got to inject the discussion of what is really the long-term trajectory if we don't have complete control over the people, right? Like what scenario is there where we don't have control over the entire population? And then start there, right? That's a better future if you ask me. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Uh, well, so we've gone through optimization. We've kind of gone through kind of how it works uh, in the larger cities, which I know a lot of times, especially in the Midwest, we get so kind of focused on single family rentals. You know, a lot of the guys and girls on, uh, you know, that are listeners and that just are in, really invested, you know, they have 30, 40 units, maybe 50, maybe 75. And that's their world, right? Is these 75 tenants and maybe their property manager is, is taking the front seat and they hear, you know, oh, well, you know, this one's late two months again, you know, and all, all this. And so I think it's really a good exercise for folks to kind of open their horizons occasionally and see there's this other world out here. And and some you may be listening, you say, I, I have 20,000 units already. I'm on a train in Baltimore listening to Land and Yak, and I've got this. And, and But I think it's important to see that there is a spectrum here of ownership as we enter this new world, right, of 2024, 2025, where the percentage of renters is now vastly outnumbering the percentage of owners. Vastly. Really? Okay. Oh, it, think about this. So when you look at HUD's statement, this is what the government will stand on TV and say, 62% of America is homeowners. It's the highest number it's been, da-da-da-da. 
Well, their own documents also state that at least one out of every 10 are fraudulently filing occupancy. At least 10%. That's known. That's like known statistic. And that's an example of, I bought a home, I lived in it for a year, and now I'm renting it, right? Did you call HUD and report that you now no longer live in the home? No, 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 no. You never did that. So their filings, right, their, their statistics are still saying that was a primary occupant home loan. It was purchased as a primary occupant. However, now it's on the, the, the market as a rental property. And guess what? You can do that 10 times per person or 20 in a marriage, 20 properties. So that's 120. And, and so now, okay, it was 62%, even just taking the 10% known, that's only, that's only 10%, right? Known already is getting you really close to 50-50. And then there's a lot of different metrics that we talk about that kind of skew that number more. And we really feel like the new number is 70% of the nation are renters right now in America. 70%. That means seven out of 10 homes when you're driving down the road is filled with somebody renting, not owning. And the president, the White House themselves will say that the number one wealth in the nation is what? Equity in your home. Your home is the number one wealth gaining, which is why there's so much pressure on housing regulation. You want to make it more affordable as you talk about, let's make it more affordable. For every one regulation you jump over, there's going to be 10 more trying to make it more affordable because it's in America's best interest to keep housing expensive. It's the number one wealth source of Americans. So now we get the real data. Now we understand that in 2024, 70% of everyone in America is going to face a rent, a rent bill on the first. And now that we got 70% renting, we have a, now a shift of the mindset. And so that's why I'm asking, pleading, and maybe I'm going to write a book next and try to tell folks about the mindset shift. It's no longer a house, it's a space. It's a mindset that you're occupying for a temporary sake and your identity now is not in the home, your identity is in the experiences that you're able to do in life. And if you look at Travelocity, who by the way was founded by the same founder of Zillow, his advertisement and campaign is all about, you don't need to own anything, you need to travel more and experience life more because that's what the future is. You'll own nothing and you'll be happy about it. And of course, I'm telling you, you said. Yeah. of course, that's what he yeah. says. He's through Travelocity. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Exactly. And yeah, he's already sold his stakes in Zillow. So, so he's, he's, he's good there. But uh, anyways, fascinating topics here. Um, the Folsom Group, I mean, where can people get a hold of you? Who's your ideal customer? Shout out what, what uh, you know, how can they connect with you guys? Who are you looking for? We're looking for co-op and condo board members in the greater New York City area. In those co-ops and condos, that is an apartment building. So not single family homes, but apartment buildings. That's our specialty. And uh, we, yeah, we do a free second opinion um, for those who reach out. And uh, of course, get my book on Amazon, Living the High Life, which has nothing to do with what it insinuates that it does have to do. <laughs> it's really living in life. 
Anyways, it's in altitude. In altitude. <laughs> in altitude. <laughs> and it's my story, my husband and my story, how we started our business and how we got here. And then a bunch of stories and tips. It's really a guidebook. And uh, of Excellent. course, check out our website, The Folsom Group. That's T-H-E-F-O-L-S-O-N group.com. All right. Well, I appreciate you guys and girls. No, go ahead. Follow me on LinkedIn. I'm very active on LinkedIn. Sorry. Now, there you go. (laughs) Shout out to the LinkedIn. Well, thanks everyone for joining us on this journey. If you've heard something that made your imagination go in a direction, feel free to email Landon at OKCreal.com with your questions, your comments, your fusses. Why am I right? Why am I wrong? Let's start that discussion. Love to hear from all of you. Remember, when we compete in this space, it is an abundant space. So if you're helping your other investors, we're all working together. There is a multitude. There's millions and millions and millions and millions of housing opportunities out there. And if it's not here, it's in other countries. If it's not in other countries, it's in other continents. So there's an abundance. So don't forget that. Just keep pressing forward and onward. Let's share this open conversation because your dream started with sharing your dream with somebody else. So, all right. Thank you uh, for coming on the show, Tina. If you're thinking it's time to buy or sell a home in central Oklahoma, why not work with a broker you already know and trust? The Oklahoma Real Estate Show was created by real estate broker Landon Witt to help you succeed. It's an award-winning, full-service, licensed real estate brokerage and property management service serving central Oklahoma. You know that finding the right team in real estate is critical. The Oklahoma Real Estate Show is your boots on the ground with decades of combined experience and most of the team you already know and trust. What are you waiting for? Get started now at OklahomaRealEstateShow.com. That's OklahomaRealEstateShow.com. Because your dream started with sharing your dream with somebody else. So... All right. Thank you uh, for coming on the show, Tina.